You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Sergeant and Mrs. Smith, you are going to love this house. Is that a tub in the kitchen? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous, the podcast about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. I'm your host, Ebony Vines. And I'm your host, Pamela Shandro. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Theater Geeks Anonymous podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network and all your favorite podcast listening apps. Thank you. All right, so friends. Yes? Uh, today, we're going to do the musical Disaster. Whee! And it is, it is Disaster! Exclamation point. It is not disaster exclamation point the musical Seth Rudetsky is very clear about that and gets very annoyed when people call it disaster the musical well that's the only way I've ever heard it called so me how too. interesting yeah he well, gets thank you very for, annoyed thank you for letting me know I would hate to get him annoyed at me I know <laughs> bless Seth Rudetsky and mm-hmm. his husband James and their stars in the house that they've been doing <laughs> yes. during this whole pandemic it has been giving the world a ton of life. It has been raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for, uh, for actors and, and, and um, stage hands and all types of people who are suffering during this time. Yeah. And they are just like a trip and three quarters, the two of them together. <laughs> so bless them. Okay, so my resources for this musical are... Uh, the Playbill staff article called A Look Back at Seth Rudetsky and Jack Plotnick's Disaster on Broadway, Wikipedia, um, another article uh, entitled Seth Rudetsky's Disaster, Musical Hooded for Broadway with Adam Pascal and Face Prince by Robert Viagas, and that was on Playbill.com. Um, there's a podcast called Dennis Anyone, and it's their April 18th, 2016 episode entitled, We Haven't Had a Weird Thing in a While. And, <laughs> and the New York Times article, Anatomy of a Broadway Flop, What Sank These Four Shows by Michael Paulson. So those are my sources for today's um, podcast episode. All right. So. What makes a disaster? The development and production. While working together on off-Broadway show, the off-Broadway show called Pageant, Seth Rudetsky, oh goodness, <laughs> Seth Rudetsky and Jack Plotnick um, had the idea of creating a musical reminiscent of the 70s disaster films that would incorporate the decade's top songs as both musical numbers and vehicles for comedy. So it was actually Seth's idea first, and he told um, he told Jack about it, and he told Jack about it in 1992. But it took him like 20 years to actually do anything about it. <laughs> and and when he said that, I was like, 
I feel really seen. I feel really seen right now. Um, I feel like most writers, we let an idea percolate for a psychotically oh, yeah. long time. And then we're like, oh, maybe, maybe we should do something about that. And then <laughs> so often by the time we do that, somebody else has already done it. And we're like, oh, well, I guess. How long have we been trying to like get my one woman show up and running? <laughs> I know. I know. Well, in our defense, we started talking about it and plotting it out right before the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And then the pandemic just destroyed everyone's lives. So, <laughs> so in our defense, it is what it is. Um, when Rudetsky was asked in 2011 to put on a show benefiting the not-for-profit organization Only Make Believe, which is an organization that was started by Tina Hammerstein, uh, it brings theater to hospitalized children. What happened is Seth decided he, he was asked to do this benefit. And so he was like, oh, that, that musical idea, maybe, maybe I should do something with that. And so he told his friend Jeff and Jeff said, well, have you started writing anything? And Seth was like, um, and so Jeff literally took his computer and started writing the script like for him he shook his computer and he was like scene one interior charlie <laughs> like literally um that's how it started Amazing. and so jeff said um he said so a lot of this comes from uh the 2016 broadway con um uh talk that they did with the entire cast and and so Jeff said he felt like for Seth, it just was like somebody had to sort of start mm. and then he could kind of finish. And so yeah. they continued writing the musical together over the phone because um, Jeff would be in L.A. pretty often, you know, and Seth is mostly here. Um, all right. So after that, they began writing it together over the phone, as I said. And in the span of three months, he and Jack revised the concept and wrote the first script of Disaster. The original storyline involved the New York City blackout of 1977. I don't know much about the 1977 blackout, but I was here for the 2003 blackout. And I was also for like a split second. And um, of course, we all had that blackout the summer of 2019 mm -hmm. as well, which was not the entire city, but was, no. was a large portion of Manhattan and then like parts of Astoria had blacked out it was just an extraordinarily hot summer I did a show once with someone who told me that in the 2000 2002 2002 it was 2000 I think it was I think it was 2003 okay yeah uh, I wasn't living here at that point in time mm -hmm. so and I I had just no, I was still living in Chicago. So I was doing a show with someone a few years later, maybe while I was still in Chicago, or it might have been anyway, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but he said that he remembers it so vividly because he had just come up the stairs into Times Square from the subway when the lights went down and then everyone was just stuck where they were because if you don't have electricity, you don't have the subway. Yes. <laughs> and yep. you can't, if you live in New York, you know how important the subway is because if the subway goes down for any reason, there yeah. will not be a taxi available for ages. So you just better get your walking shoes on and cross those bridges into whatever borough you're from. That's right. Crazy. I know. Wait, maybe you're right. It was 02 because that mm. was my first 
summer in uni here in New York when after I transferred and so I I was in a car with my friend Natalie we're still friends and we we had just met actually um that summer and we were on our way to um a rap party like for this tv show we'd worked on and so I was driving and we're like going down I was going down the uh Garden State Parkway. And for those of you who don't live here, back in the day, the Garden State Parkway had like these 35 cent tolls that would go like every couple of miles. It was a flipping nightmare. It was terrible. Awful. And so, but like, because like none of them were working and I thought, hmm, I wonder what's going on. And then I get closer to the city and there's no like stoplights working. And I was like, it just never clicked. (laughs) Why would it? didn't click and so we get into the city and it's like uh, and then it's just like uh you can't you can't move right and so cops are trying to help people get around and I was like okay what is going on finally switched from like uh, from music to the news Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the radio (laughs) and I was like oh dear So then we, she and I were getting phone calls from the producers of the show and they were like, we're just going to have to reschedule like everybody, you know, go home and stuff. So, so that's what we did. But um, (laughs) funny, one of my mentors that I was living with at the time, she said, let's get on the Garden State Parkway right now because there are no tolls. (laughs) Let's just ride down. Just drives back and forth. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Bless it. <laughs> um, Rudetsky told Playbill.com, ever since I read Charles Bush's book, Horrors of Lost Atlantis, I've always wanted to write a show and perform in it, surrounded by my friends. Well, it's happened. I co-wrote Disaster with my friend Jack, whom I've known since 1991, and everyone in the show is a friend from forever ago. I've known Faith since the early 90s. We had the same therapist. And Carrie, Carrie Butler, and I have known each other since we were in a kids' nightclub in the 80s. Yes, she's she's younger than me. I could go through the whole cast, but the point is this is a dream come true. That was really sweet. That's awesome. Disaster originated at the, after it did the concert, the full show originated at the Triad Theater off-Broadway for a two-month run in 2012. It reopened in a more fully designed production at another off-Broadway venue called St. Luke's Theater for a six-month run in 2013. Major changes between the concert and off-Broadway included widening the plot's range. Instead of focusing on one disaster, the New York City blackout, they decided to introduce a variety of catastrophes common to the popular films of the 1970s that they had grown up watching. The benefit show successfully impressed critics, and from its success, the musical later had a nine-show off-off-Broadway run before um, being made into an off-Broadway production. All right. So, Disaster's Broadway plot, Seth Rudetsky and Jack Plotnick's Disaster, was a parody of the 70s disaster movies. Um, It opened on Broadway March 8, 2016 at Broadway's Nederlander Theater. In the musical, earthquakes, tidal waves, infernos, and rampant wildlife can't stop an outrageous cast of characters from dancing, gambling, and singing the night away aboard New York's first floating casino and discotheque. (laughs) 
Disaster takes place in 1979 Manhattan during the opening night of the Barracuda, the first floating casino and discotheque in New York. The characters gather to gamble and dance unaware of impending natural disasters and the building's lack of safety measures compounds these catastrophes. Notably, the casino structure has built, uh, was built on a fault line, which causes earthquakes throughout the show. <laughs> the plot follows several characters' dynamics and interactions throughout the opening night as they deal with the various plot elements reminiscent of the 70s disaster cult films, such as the Poseidon Adventure and Airport from 1975. Jack Plotnick said that although some things had changed, more had stayed the same in making um, the show from off-Broadway to Broadway. Um, he said one of the, his design elements that really inspired him, because he also directed this show, was the Contemporary Hotel in Disney World. He went there in 1978 and it had a 70s type futurism. Oh. And so he said, again, in this Broadway con interview that, um, one of the cast members when there was like a particular set piece that he made and when she got on stage and saw it she was like that looks like the contemporary hotel and he was like perfect <laughs> that's exactly what i wanted nice um all right so disaster starred roger bart as tony carrie butler as marianne kevin chamberlain as mari adam pascal and that's our rent reference yep as Chad, Faith Prince as Shirley, Rachel York as Jackie, Seth Rudetsky as Professor Ted Scheider, Jennifer Simard, who earned a Tony nomination for her performance as Sister Mary Downey. Uh, and I suggest you go to the Tony Awards and you watch <laughs> that performance because it's truly bananas. <laughs> Max Crummis Scott, Bailey Luttrell as Ben and Lisa and Lacrita as Lavora. Rounding out the company were ensemble members, Manuel Feliciano, uh, Casey Garvin, Travis Kent, Maggie McDowell, Olivia Phillip, and Catherine Riccafort with Paul Castri and Elise Allen Louise as swings. The production featured choreography by Joanne M. Hunter, scenic design by Tobin Oust, or probably Oast. Costume design by William Ivy Long, lighting design by Jeff Kreuter, and sound design by Mark Menard with stage management by Paul J. Smith, Megan Schneid, and Samantha Priest. Um, the show I is mean, you can just imagine though that Seth Rudetsky has his choice. Like all he has to do is pick up the phone and say, you want a part of this project? Like he just probably handpicked all his friends. I think that's I awesome. Know. Yeah, no, totally did. And he was able to bring people, you know, from the off-Broadway production over mm. to the Broadway production. Um, I, I did not get to see the show. You can listen to the cast recording on us uh, on Spotify, which is okay. how I listened to it. But, you know, it's all 70s songs, you know, that that we know. Yeah. You know, so when you listen to the cast recording, you'll, you know, it's just stuff, you know, you, you know, already. Along. Yeah, nice. totally. Um, the production, the show was produced by Robert Ahrens, uh, Mickey Lytle, which is LD Entertainment, Hunter Arnold, James Wesley. James Wesley is Seth Rudetsky's husband. Okay. 
Jim Burba and Bob Hayes. Like I said, it was directed by Plotnik with the book by Rudetsky and Plotnik. And the production played 32 previews and 72 performances before closing on May 8th, 2016. And the cast album was released on September 9th, 2016. Now the show was meant to stay open until July of 2016. Okay. It did not, sales were very low. Uh, And it only had one Tony nomination. And I believe that year, the Tony nominations 2016 came out on May 5th. Okay. So it, uh, it closed. I mean, that's like three days later. That's very fast. Yeah. They, I mean, if you don't have a reason to still, like if they had had several different Tony nominations, obviously you can kind of finagle the numbers a little bit and hope right. that then the audience appeal will be a little bit higher because they've got these nominations and perhaps even wins. Right. But yeah. With just one, what was the Tony nomination for? It was Jennifer Samard. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, now why was disaster a disaster? <laughs> I I can't I don't always get the pleasure of reading like these little bylines that yeah. I create but like all my bylines from all the years we've been doing this podcast they all I bring love me the them. most joy me too <laughs> me too producers hope that the enthusiasm for a campy night out would be replicated on Broadway as it was with the concert and off off and off Broadway runs so that was the hope in bringing the show to Broadway. And in, on the podcast with um, Seth Rudetsky and, um, and Jack, the thing, the thing that like Seth said was, okay, this is like the tryout period. Like we always talk about shows and they don't have a tryout and that's always a big problem. But this show obviously had several tryouts, right? It had the mm-hmm. concert off, off Broadway, yeah. off Broadway. Um, and it, was like sold out and like sold really well and had this like really fun sort of campy feeling. And um, they were talking about how as the night would go on, like everybody's costumes would just fall apart more and more because so many disasters were happening. And so like (laughs) after intermission, you'd have to come on and like by the end, like some people were wearing hardly anything because it had been so ripped to shreds. You know, and like their wigs were all disheveled and what have you, you know, um, (laughs) they were dirty and stuff like that. So that's really fun. And of course, it's not something you can fully do on like off Broadway and Seth said it was a lot of fun to move to Broadway because we felt like, you know, we could do more. Yeah. And he said, you know, people kept asking like, is you know, uh, did you think your show would come to Broadway? And he always felt like when it was off, off and off Broadway, he said he felt like. Um, they were always trying to squeeze into a smaller theater. Like he especially yeah. felt like that with the triad. He's like the triad theaters only has like four people that can be on stage, you know, and you know, we've got like 12 or something, you know? So it was just like, it felt like Broadway, we could just sort of breathe and sort of like stretch yeah. out and be fully ourselves. But like, unfortunately it just didn't really catch, um, fire in the same way it had you know as a concert or off-Broadway piece that always makes me so sad because I feel like that's the story for a lot of shows right right yeah you know everything tells you it should be successful Mm -hmm. because it has been successful up to this point but then you know once you get to uh to Broadway you just don't know like what's going to happen and maybe people didn't you know, they didn't want to pay the, the Broadway prices for, yeah. for that. 
you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, every time I think about, I'm not, I'm not done with all my notes, but oh, good. Every time I think about this musical, immediately the movie that pops in my head, 70s Disaster, is The Towering Inferno. Oh, so every time. an adventure. <laughs> Which is what was listed yeah. here, right? Yeah. Which, and that's so, because it's like on water, but I just immediately see like Fred Astaire in The Towering Inferno <laughs> the minute somebody like mentions this musical. Oh, bless. That, that movie is just wow it's a camp fest so is airplane mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fun idea and it's it also really it's to just kind of piggyback on what seth already said about his musical and just yeah. kind of growing into the broadway theater that is a show that can get as big as the space allows it to get that's right yeah 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 oh um so okay so uh, the, after opening night, critic Charles Isherwood wrote in the New York Times, he praised disaster and he said it was a delirious goof. And Isherwood also made it a critic's pick. And so Seth said that um, he was told on the show's opening night party would go on until 11 p.m. if it got uh, poor reviews. And it would go on until 2 a.m. if it got good reviews. <laughs> the party went on until 2 a.m. because yeah. it got a good review from Charles Isherwood. But other key critics were less impressed. Oh. The New York Magazine, Jesse Green, who actually now works for the New York Times, called it a tiny entertainment that should probably have been left in a basement rec room. That's not nice. No. Uh, Jennifer Simard's uproarious performance as a nun with a gambling problem received the only Tony nomination, which is what I said earlier. Mm. Um, and she did not win. 2016 Tony Awards was a banner year for the BIPOC community because you had uh, four BIPOC people win in the musical theater category. So you had Renee Elise Goldsberry, you had Leslie Odom Jr., you had David Diggs, um, and you had Cynthia Arrivo. Yeah. So Jennifer Samar did, did not win. Um, but it's also like, you've got this little disaster, this little yeah. musical up against these in North Hamilton. I mean, I for know. heaven's sake, Hamilton and shuffle along and shuffle. But, but if even just like, if you look <laughs> at it regards like the massive show Hamilton yeah. Yeah. and the massive show that it became right. And over time it will still become right up against this little, like, this was an idea that I had. Let's do it. It'll be fun. You know, yeah. it's so it's just it's it's almost like looking at a feature film yeah. versus Gilligan's Island half hour sitcom. Do you know what I mean? I know. And like we love Gilligan's Island. We love 30 minute sitcoms. But right. when you put it up against something like a three hour feature film, it just yeah. doesn't stand up. Right. Right. But right. then also then you've got the the politics of all of those people of color being nominated and then mm. winning. And for those shows okay. that are so heavily people of color. Right. You know, that was really exciting. And yeah. that was, you know, we this was something that theater was waiting for and waiting right. to celebrate. So you, it's it's difficult to stand up to something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But and also those performances. I, I saw yes. them. Holy mother uh -huh. of pearl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not just because they're full of people of color or BIPOC people. It is 
they are good shows and they were great performances. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I, as much as I loved watching the Tony awards growing up, Mm -hmm. it is a little bit salty for me now only because Mm -hmm. I see that it becomes like this political piece Mm -hmm. this you know um well we just watched it in smash you know where and and I don't think that this happens all of the time but certainly it probably comes into play where you've got someone like the character Patrick uh Donald I don't remember uh Devin something like that but he's a Tony Award voter that Tom gets on the wrong side of and then accidentally um, bribes and then tries to take away. Well, then he's like thought of as terrible. So no, I'm not going to vote for you regardless of of the actual talent behind and like what he's actually up for an award for. He's going to vote no against him because he's just a nerd, right? But then he says something that ingratiates him to the voter to the Tony yeah. voter. And then all of a sudden he's going to vote for him. And it's like, okay. um, <laughs> All award shows are like that. Though. I know, but that's why I don't like them anymore. I like, yeah. cause you see behind, I've, saw, I've seen the wizard now and he's not a big giant head anymore. No, he's just this little old man that's sad and lonely and I don't like it. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't, I don't care to, to support it, but that's what like, you can't, how, can you put disaster mm-hmm. up against Hamilton in a fair way? You can't. No, you can't because they're two completely different shows. Exactly. They're so it's so, just such a difficult thing to measure. And so the and, fact that. And also disaster is a jukebox musical. Yes. Right? Like it's not. None of the music is new. Right. Hamilton, everything is brand new. Right. Like it came from one man's brain. Absolutely. And there is. I'm not. I'm not tearing down any musicals here I think Mm -hmm. they both belong where they are and because I I, the stuff that I saw and read about disaster is it's hilarious charming and hilarious and I think it would have been a show that I would have loved to to have actually seen Mm -hmm. what I think I'm saying is as far as the the awards are concerned is that your show is staying open at the whim of a Tony voter that might just not like you yeah, if, and I if it's not that. already successful, because right. there's some shows where they're Tony proof, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like Wicked, didn't matter. It didn't win Best Musical, but it got a lot. It well, it still didn't like didn't wasn't it Avenue Q mm-hmm. that year? Yeah, right. And so, but like, it also got like twelve nominations. Like it right, wasn't, but it yeah. didn't. It just no, you're it right. Wouldn't it didn't matter that year. It was just it was Wicked. Like Wicked is about the wizard, like the witches mm-hmm. of the Wizard of Oz. You know, yeah. there's just some shows that it's it's not going to matter as much. And there are other shows where like yeah. they really need that stage in order for people just to be able to see them across the country to yes. come. Which goes back to my whole thing about like audience and how Broadway doesn't pay any attention to the mm. audience that's right here yes. in these five boroughs, which really <laughs> pisses me off because I'm like, yes. you guys, like look at this pandemic you think like you're just waiting for tourists to come when you have five boroughs filled with eight million people who could come to your show right that's a whole nother tangent absolutely I'm still not finished my notes I know I'm sorry 
and we should have a lot of feelings, but also, oh, one more thing. Cause I know we've talked about yeah. it before. Rosie O'Donnell though, when she had her show and she used yes. to like the weeks leading up to the Tony Awards would yes. have the performances on there. First of all, me as Pamela living in central Illinois yes. used to wait Same. with bated breath because that was my only opportunity to yes. see these shows before the Tony Awards. Yeah. Anymore though, they're not even showing every performance on the Tonys. Right. And I know it's a money issue. Well, I feel the musical If a show do, is closed, but if a show is closed right. before the Tony, even if it has a nomination, they still don't do like just let us they don't see it. Do it. Ah. Like there's a, a few exceptions like um um Spring Awakening. Yes. So it it the Death West um production did close like well before the Tonys and they were able to come back. But like, you know, I, I feel like shows like Be More Chill, which like, mm. yes, at the very least, you know, I love James, but James didn't even wreck, like, he didn't even say this is a parody right. of, you know, and it so, had to come out in social media later. It was so, it's so upsetting to me. Yeah, it just, it yeah. just really, it's like the award ceremony should be a celebration of musical right, theater, right. not an exclusionary tool. Right. And that's what it feels like. Right, right, right. Like mm -hmm. you're the gatekeeper and you're saying that these are the good shows and those are not. And that is frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And again, all, all award shows are, all well, award shows are pretentious. It's true. Cause then you've got other shows and this is the last point I'll make. And then you can go back to your notes. I promise. Because then you've got other shows though, like sweet smell of success that <laughs> knew because they weren't winning anything that this was their, they were going to be closing. So they put every one of their chorus uh, ensemble members and leads on that stage to do dirt and they did it, but they spent all their money to do it. And then they had to close, but they knew they were probably going to have to close anyway, because the Tony awards weren't on their side. Mm -hmm. I just, hate I that. love that performance. Oh, it was amazing <laughs> because everybody was on the same page. I was singing that <laughs> song for weeks after I rewatched <laughs> it on my little VHS recording yes. of the Tonys. I love that performance. I love that show. That show needs to come back. I, I think, I think I remember back then the problem was, and I think the problem still is Americans can't like, they're not great at commentary on themselves. Oh, Right. Okay. And so like what I heard was, you know, it did really well in England because they're like, he, 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 you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then it comes here and, and we're like, eh, you're talking about us. And it's kind of the same with Hamilton, right? Sure. The king. Yeah. He doesn't hit as well over there as he does yeah. over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, all right. So last thing I was going to say, bada, bada, ba. <laughs> um, speculation on why the show flopped is that the music struck many as an extended one gag skit without enough star power, spectacle or drama to justify Broadway prices, which I did say. Yeah. Um, or a two act running time and it sank. I would argue this should have probably been a 90 minute. Yeah, it could have wrong. been done without an intermission. Yeah. Yeah. 90 minute, which, which is more prevalent than maybe it was then mm -hmm. um, for a 90 minute musical. I know Violet was a 90 minute. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it would have benefited from 
from, you know, being shortened. Um, you know, I get angry about the star power thing. I get angry about things needing to be spectacle, but I, I give, yeah, totally. I give the show all the credit for coming out in 2016 because I was hearing a lot of talk of shows not wanting to come out in 16 because they like, oh, they yeah. felt like Hamilton was going to take everything. And I really commend shows like this and in transit and a few others that were like, we want to be on Broadway. Like, right. I don't care who else is coming, like fine. They're coming. Maybe we won't stay open for 10 or 15 years, but like there's open theaters. Yeah. I'm going now, you know? And so yeah. I really commend shows like disaster in transit and a number of others that still, you know, opened in, in a year they knew would be really tough to, yeah. you know, make a strong showing. Do you think that social media is helping or hurting Broadway as a whole? Now like, that everyone has their own opinions, like, cause I almost, the reason I ask this is because yeah. like, it used to be that we relied on the critics telling us whether or not a show was good or not in order to go and see it. But now you can see millions of people's opinions of something, which, which could just backfire and be too many. So I don't know. I, well, I mean, I look at shows like, you know, Be More Chill, which, you know, I, I'm not going to say is like my favorite thing, but literally social media powered it to Broadway. Yeah. And, you know, Joe Iconis never thought it would get there, you know, and so uh, Beetlejuice, you know, mm -hmm. for example, which like did this miraculous turnaround yeah. where it was, you know, on the way to being on our list. And then, you know, the young people were mm -hmm. fighting for their show and then ticket sales rose in a way no one's ever seen before. Yeah. Right. And, and so I, I think about those shows where I feel like social media powered them forward or kept them on, on stage longer than, than people expected. And um, I also see like this love that young people have and this ability to be so much closer to those people than we were able to be when we were mm -hmm. their age. And so I actually think, um, I, it is my personal opinion and people are welcome to disagree with me that I feel like social media if we use it correctly, can do more to help theater okay. um, than hurt it. Because, I mean, again, these Broadway shows that either never would have gotten there if it weren't for the young people on mm -hmm. social media or not would not have stayed if it weren't for the young people. Yeah. Because it's always about finding your audience, you know, and as much power as you can take away from the gatekeepers, mm -hmm. you know, I yeah. want to take as much power from them as, as possible. And yeah. so if, you know, listen, I, I love some of the, like, I love, you know, three on the aisle and stuff. And I want those people to have jobs, but also I don't want them to be the only voice because like, I don't always agree with them. Right. Absolutely. Like they, they, I can't say they represent me. Like they don't, you know, right. and, and I, I would argue they definitely didn't represent, you know, 17 year old Ebony or 15 year old Ebony or 12 year old Ebony, you know, and, um, and so I, I think a lot of young people feel, 
feel similarly where yeah. they're, the critics maybe don't necessarily represent them and they're able to have their own voices. Well, and I love the idea of, of voting with your Facebook or, or yeah. you know, like, you know, millennials and Gen Zers are in this kind of amazing position to use their platform as a power piece um, to say, you know, we don't agree with what your company is doing. So we're going to, to get everybody together through social media so that we won't support you, which means you're either going to change or you're going to be canceled. Right. And so there is a kind of power behind that. And so you're right. You're right in that Beetlejuice and Be More Chill were brought to the forefront from people just like those people saying, this is something that's important to me. And if it's important to you too, put your voice to it. Yeah. I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. That's great. And, uh, you know, again, you, you all are welcome to, you can at me, we can have a discussion. I'm not saying, listen, I don't even love social media. You know, so this is not somebody who's like super, like all about the social, but I right. do see there's enormous value mm-hmm. and, um, and I love to see the young people I act like I'm so old. I'm not really that old, <laughs> but I, I just love so much to see how the young people are just being so inspired and invigorated yeah. and they're making musicals on TikTok and Instagram. And they're just like, oh, it's just, it's been well, wonderful. It, you and I had Rosie O'Donnell at 3 p.m. Central yeah. time. Well, I guess it was, well, it's 3 p.m. Central time in Illinois. Right, so it was 4, 4, p.m. 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Right. And then, <laughs> and then 1 a.m. with Theater Talk for me as well on Fridays. <laughs> During the week. But now, you know, yeah. these, the younger generations can access it at any time they want to. Yeah. Or they can stream it when it's supposed to be streamed. But like they've got access that we never had when we right. were growing up to this kind of stuff. I mean, I remember trying to, well, at the time it wouldn't have been Google. <laughs> AOL search, yeah. you know. Bing. Yeah. Yeah, it probably was Bing, Bing and Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> and Yahoo, Yahoo is a big one. But like, yeah. you know, we were trying to type in these searches for, I was trying to type in searches for stuff like that. And you just couldn't find the information because no, no. nobody thought that that was important to add to the internet when the internet right. was so fresh at that point in time. So right. it really did take younger generations to kind of be like, um, actually, I'd love to know about little prince and the aviator and i want to know the backstory to disaster and you know and all of these other things that are musical theater related i think it's awesome yeah i my also like even with huge juggernauts like before they were juggernauts like when when hamilton was at the public before it had a massive following and there was there was no cast recording and so it was only the people who got to sit in those seats Mm. i would like after every show go to the hashtag on Twitter and then I could read like people's reactions and how they were feeling about it. And that was just so exciting to me. I looked forward to that. Like every time there had been a show. Yeah. And I mean, that was like, you know, little, little ebony on the inside. Like I, (laughs) you know, I, I, it's not something I had when I was younger for, you know, a show. Nice. Um, at all but yeah anyway that's it. it uh <laughs> disaster the musical it is um y- you can actually do it so if you want to perform disaster the musical it can be done nice 
Um, you know, like I said, the Spotify, it's on Spotify, the cast recording and, you know, um, it's fun also just to listen to Seth and Jack talk about it. I'm sure. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Yes. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Theater Geeks Anonymous. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGA B-Way and on Facebook at Theater Geeks Anonymous. And if you want to tell us how much you love us or you have a great story about one of the shows we've talked about, drop us a note at TGA B-Way at gmail.com. Until Until next time, time, geeks. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.